Welcome to the show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have some very special guests on the show today. They've been on before. If you've been a longtime listener, you probably enjoyed the episode we did a while back with Brad and Jesse Smith. I think we had entitled it Eugenics in the 21st Century in America or something like that. And Brad Smith is on staff with Michigan Right to Life. And him and his wife, Jesse, are sort of G.K. Chestertonian anti-eugenicist activists, meaning that they're some of the lone Christian voices blowing the trumpet against the eugenic leviathan in America. And whether you know it or not, Christian, eugenics is more alive today in America than it was when the eugenicists were building their vision, when Chesterton wrote his book, Eugenics and Other Evils, in like the early 1900s. And they have a daughter with, um, with significant needs who many doctors have refused to care for because they believed her to be what the Germans called Lebens und Wertensleben. In other words, life unworthy of life. And you see, you should never trust a pro-abortion advocate who is a doctor to take care of your family because you are trusting someone with your life and livelihood who has absorbed some level of a philosophy called body self-dualism, that the body and your humanness is not enough to ground your rights. It's something other than being human, which means certain cognitive abilities, functions, and accidental properties that the culture of death says become the litmus test for personhood. It's only a matter of time until that litmus test gets applied to other born people who also failed to meet that same litmus test for personhood and the protections therein. The rights and liberties we abandon today will be the rights and liberties our grandchildren never knew existed. And if you don't identify the eugenic rot happening in this country right now, one day you'll wake up and find that you're the one being described as Labens Unwertens Lehmann. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Brad and Jesse, welcome back to the show today. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. It's uh, you guys are are some heroes of mine. Um, if we had more of your spirit of a father and a mother. Uh, in the church and culture today, we would not be in the situation that we're in. And so I think I think it was it was needed to have you back on because God brought back to mind how prevalent eugenics is in America today as I was studying the history of the eugenic racist, abortion industry. Many people don't understand this. You guys do, of course, that Margaret Sanger was more than an abortion rights activist. She was a Marxist communist revolutionary who just wanted to use birth control sex ed to titillate the masses, to break down sexual and societal mores uh, in order to institute her revolutionary agenda. Uh, Sex ed and abortion and birth control was sort of just the necessary... Um, strategy she needed to accomplish her larger political goals. So for these revolutionaries, they care about the entire progressive agenda. They just know that abortion is kind of the linchpin or the hinge upon which progressivism swings. And so as pro-lifers, we can't be like so narrow in our lane. Like I'm just pro, I just do the pro-life thing. Like, well, obviously you should have a single-minded commitment to ending this genocide, of course. Uh, But if you fail to realize how all of the pieces connect and this larger agenda, you're not going to be as effective in your goals because you're fighting something much bigger than what you realize. And part of that whole progressive agenda, as you guys well know, was eugenics. Going back to Thomas Malthus with Malthusianism in the 19th century, and then you had one of Margaret Sanger's, uh, well, sexual partners, actually, and mentors named Havelock Ellis during her year and a half in England because she had to flee New York for breaking the Comstock laws for titillating the masses through the American Postal Service. And Havelock Ellis's personal mentor was a man named Francis Galton, the man who popularized eugenics and coined the freaking term eugenics. Francis yeah. Galton was first cousins with Charles Darwin. Okay, so, so I mean, people have to understand how this whole agenda all goes together. Um, but... It, It's not just about blowing the trumpet 
on what old school Democrats used to believe or, or how those ideas impacted the Democrat Party today. It's bigger than that. It's no, it's happening still, right? It's happening Absolutely. still. And oh, yeah. they're just more silent and successful because of it. And so with right. that very large 30,000 foot intro to this podcast conversation with you guys this morning, I want to return to that conversation. And, and I want you to educate and bless and, and fire up and break the hearts of our listeners as to how Sangers, Hitler's, Ernst Rudin's, Leon mm-hmm. Whitney's, Madison Grant's vision is, is being fulfilled in America today. So um, for listeners who weren't listening to the podcast when we had you back on, Tell us about you guys, your marriage, your family, and your story. So we have five children. Um, our oldest is, is Grace, and then we've got a son, Elijah, another son, Gideon, and then Hope, and our youngest is Faith. Faith was born with trisomy 18. Uh, and, and trisomy 18, so your viewers understand, is a chromosome abnormality. Um, most of them would know Down syndrome, which is actually trisomy 21. Right. Um, so this is an extra chromosome on the, on the 18th, where Down syndrome is an extra chromosome on the 21st. Yeah. She, uh, when being given this diagnosis, we were pushed to have an abortion, um, and. In several times until I got angry with him. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because you talk about like this whole eugenics movement and part of every one of those move- movements have been what they have tried to rename someone right. as some type of subhuman yeah, person. That's exactly right. So two of the things they called my daughter incompatible with life while literally she was in my womb alive, alive and kicking during that appointment. Wow, and right. then the other was a fatal fetal anomaly. So even at 13, I have to say to people, she's no longer fetal. She's 13. So it wasn't fatal. How many, how many hoops does she need to go through or how many hurdles does she need to jump? You call her human being. Fatal fetal anomaly. Okay, good. I want, I want people to remember these terms. A rat or, you know, all through history, we have people calling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and it's their way of doing things. They always like to take things and rebrand it. We actually were just speaking with some doctors, Hmm. some great doctors. These were doctors on our side. Um, But even in their language, uh, they use things to soften the blow of what what you would call. What was that? They were the implicit bias. Implicit bias is what they would say. Right. One of the doctors there said she had just went to a conference, you know, for doctors on implicit bias. But Hmm. we would call that bigotry and discrimination. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, well, tell us more what that means and how they were using that term, because leftism does come along with a lexicon. Um, right. and, and it's, it's kind of an alternative language. Uh, and if yeah. you don't learn to speak leftism, you actually won't understand your enemy. Uh, and so t- tell us more, unpack that more for us. Yeah. Well, so as we were talking about things and I brought up and, and was talking about how disabled children are treated and they're being discriminated against and it's bigotry and hatred. Yep. One of the doctor's response was to say, yes, we, there's definitely an implicit bias. So she was acknowledging it. But again, using softer language, which is what they they like to do. So they want it the same thing with fatal fetal anomaly. They don't want to hear disabled child. Hmm. Right. That's not we're not. They don't want it to be a discussion on disabled children. They want it to be a discussion on incompatible with life, fatal fetal anomaly, dehumanize, uh, make things sound softer than they are. Yeah. Um, medicalize things That's too, right. you know, as much as you can right. make, make it seem like it's not what it really is. Yeah. So this is a, for instance, with our daughter. So she, she's going through heart failure. We go see a doctor. He's willing to treat her until he finds out what her chromosomes are. Hmm. So now he comes back and says to us, um, gosh, do you know what your child has? She has trisomy 18. I don't know if we can do do this. And this is where he says, we'll have to go to an ethics board to get the surgery. But he also describes what heart failure is like. Hmm. And so here you have somebody saying, um, you, we can either take your child, let them die through heart failure, which is no picnic. You're, right. you're basically drowning in your own fluid. 
or we can give them the life-saving opportunity here. And that I have to go to a doctor or a legislator and advocate that my daughter is a worthy enough human being to get the care I'm paying for, or to um, talk to a legislator and say, I shouldn't have to defend my daughter's quality of life. Hmm. And one of the things I say to the doctor, to put it in perspective, is I happen to know that doctors have some of the highest suicide rates, depression rates, and wow. substance abuse rates of almost any profession in the world. And they all know this. And they all know this. They go to classes on it. In fact, you know, many of them don't get help they need because they don't want to ruin a, a very good career. Wow. And so you have people that Why do you think that is? They're the last group of people I would want evaluating my daughter's quality of life because look what they do in the world and they can't rightly evaluate the quality of their own. But wow. even even quality of life, when you look at it, the term itself, quality of life, it's exactly what you said. It's the same thing. It's right. just repackaged, life unworthy of life. Yep, yes. yep. That's right. So guys, um, so you guys have probably heard this, this line before, but uh, journalist Paul Greenberg um, once coined a succinct axiom. This was years ago, a couple decades or more ago. And he said, verbicide precedes homicide. It's the, it's the yes. manipulation of language by euphemism mm -hmm. to camouflage or at least blunt the truth about the real killing that you want to do. And so yes. homicidal, genocidal regimes have always defined their victim classes out of existence. Um, and, and so you expose some truly horrific firsthand accounts last time you were on the show about some real-life examples of eugenics playing itself out, of certain eugenics presuppositions or premises that were revealing themselves through the words, actions, or lack thereof, of doctors who swore to do no harm. Can you start just sharing some of your experiences, some of your story, your journey as a family because of the, of, I'm sorry, faith, right? Yeah. Yes. Because of your because of your faith and 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 how that's built your faith uh, and, and how and how God has used that actually to kind of raise you guys up as some voices against a lot of this wickedness. But a lot of this stuff is is stuff people have no idea is happening in the country. Can, can you just kind of educate us a little bit? Yeah, I mean, she gave you an example of that, which, by the way, I will say I always like this one. You had mentioned a quote there. Um, I, I like Captain America's quote. You can't mask murder. Uh, uh, you can't justify murder by masking it with a cause. Mm, right. Um, and yep. it's the same thing, wow. you know, it's, it's the exact same thing. So yeah, we have seen all kinds of stuff. Uh, I mean, from doctors or nurses who make, you know, ridiculous comments to us. Um, uh, and when we could go through a number of different things, we mentioned the heart issue. One of the other things that we ran into with faith was that, uh, she almost died. Um, when she was two or almost two, she's between wow. a year and a half and two years old. And she had several times where she had almost died. And what we ended up figuring out from a, a good doctor was that she had a short jaw and she needed a jaw distraction. And what happened is when he, when he sat us down and walked us through, he said, well, you know, she's actually an old lady for this procedure. So it should have happened when she was an infant. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it didn't happen. But guess what we discovered when we went back and looked at all of her medical records? They had noted her short jaw throughout her medical records. And that was at three other institutions. And none, of them, hospital none of them said to us about it. Yet again, he referred to her as an old lady for the procedure because she was almost two and it should have been done long before and wow. wasn't. And, yes. and so this is what happens all the time. And, but it's not like this is – some people might look and go, well, this is – you know, you had a bad experience. No, no, no. I, I, we help families all over the country. May I give one? I yes. Mean, just um, – we have a little girl that um, – I don't know. Do we give names or not give names? I would say don't give names. A little girl near us. I actually went to this hospital myself. We still know them. 
her mother knew she was she her daughter had disability same thing her daughter has so she had got all the prenatal testing she went and already interviewed neonatologists she was in labor at the time oh. and a neonatologist walks in while she's in labor after she had already interviewed everybody they knew she had a child with disability and said we just want you to know we are not going to do any resuscitation if your baby needs it isn't that a horrible time to tell somebody you're not going to deliver full care she oh. had been there before she had oh, interviewed God. she had prenatal tests and so she was crying because she's like, did I come to the wrong place? I mean, there's no opportunity while you're in labor oh, to transfer and leave. At that point. And thankfully, her daughter breathed on her own. But can you imagine what other child are they making jump again hurdles? Or we have a, no, another little one, different state. Um, and this little boy, his dad goes to the hospital, is flipping through the chart, excuse me, flipping through the chart and finds out there's a do not resuscitate on his child's. Chart. Um, chart. Oh my God. And he goes and he asks somebody, why is this on there? You can Because the doctor had put it on there. Yeah, without and them was, knowing. And, and didn't tell them. They didn't know it was happening. Wow. Um, and, but like, like I said, I, this was, that was in Texas where that was happening. Right. Um, I, down in Columbus, uh, we had a family that we were working with um, and, and they believed, and again, these are things where they, they a lot of times try and make it even look like they're helping you. I, I'd written an article on a, on this years ago as we were doing research, and the term uh, that we ran across was slow code. That's and right. We had never heard this term before, right? So we started looking it up, and we discovered that slow code was um, is when it's their own nickname in medicine for bringing medicine to you but doing it so slowly that it does no good but they make you think that they're treating you. So wow. that's the idea behind it. So here's what happened. This family down in Columbus, um, they were working with the children's hospital and this, this NICU doctor. So this is a neonatologist. Um, he comes into them and had been treating for a long time. And I told him, I said, look, you got to keep your eyes out. Even if you think they're helping you, they may not be helping you. Right. You've really got to be cautious. You've got to weed things out. And there's certain things we say now to weed it out. Yep. We're pretty good at doing it. But they weren't. They were new parents at this. They didn't know what they were doing. And wow. so uh, this doctor, it, they, they had told them that they would do heart surgery when this child reached a certain weight and age. And it was like four months old and a certain pounds, you know. Well, so she lived and she made it to four months and she was old enough and, <clears throat> and big enough to be treated. Right. Well, all of a sudden, the hospital said they wouldn't do it. Oh, my gosh. It's interesting is I started helping them find other hospitals, and we found one in St. Louis, and a doctor there was willing to do this heart surgery, which was, uh, in, you know, in this case, was a more complicated situation, yep. but was very willing to try and help their child. So they were, they were getting ready to go, but in the process, we were, we were getting all kinds of second opinions. Hmm. What happens is this doctor finds out they're getting a second opinion. He walks in. The dad told me this story. He walks into the room and he greets him like, hey, how you doing? Because they you know, had a thought, a good relationship. He said he barely got that out of his mouth and the doctor launched into him and he was angry. And he said, what are you doing going for all of these second opinions? We went above and beyond what we ever should have done for this little girl. Oh, can you imagine? What we he was lying through his teeth he the said whole time. What we ever should he have was, done. Yeah, he was. Whoa. What they were doing was waiting for that child to die. They didn't think she would live to four months old. So when she did, wow. he was furious that they were seeking help. So they, they they were just biding time, hoping that that child would die. And this happens all the time. I had a child in Arkansas. So yeah, here, so this is here, like the fifth story you're on now, huh? Oh, yeah. I could go on all day telling yeah. you stories. Keep going. We've Keep going. I, I, I want people to understand that this is not an anomaly, that this is not rare in America and in American medicine. Um, and so, and that's why I want you back on the show today. So please keep going. Yeah, it's everywhere and it's prevalent. And I'll give you some stats too to show it. So this Arkansas, uh, this little one with T18, and, and I'm – been doing this for a long time. I'm pretty good actually at asking questions sure. to the parents sure. and getting a sense of 
can we help this child? <clears throat> What's their situation? Do they have yeah. a more difficult part? That kind of stuff. So I walked through all of that with her and I'm yeah. listening and I'm like, Hey, look, this child, you, you got some tough things, but nothing more than most trisomy 18 children and sure. we can get you help. And so the, the hospital there would not help. They, they said that they would not do any uh, treatment and because of the trisomy 18, right? So, which is, can I just say, is illegal, actually, if you look at the law under the Americans with Disabilities Act, Good. you cannot withhold treatment based upon quality of life yep. or disability. Yep. But that's what they're doing. They're breaking the law yep. and doing it all the time. So this hospital decides they don't want to help this child. So I start talking to my doctor up here, who is one of the best in the country, the guy who did the jaw distraction on our daughter. Okay. And he's willing to treat and help her. So we start talking about trying to get a transfer. Well, this conversation starts in October. This is going on for months and months and months. We're trying to get something done. And the hospital, they keep teasing with, well, we'll do this and then we'll do that. Yep. And so then, you know, they keep dragging things out. And I'm like, you need to get out of there. Let's get you up here. Well, then they even said once she really started looking at transferring, then they said to her, well, you know, we can't treat you when you come back. Wow. So even do follow-up care. <laughs> they, right? So so now my hospital goes, well, if they won't do follow-up care, we can't do anything. Wow. We need to do follow-up care. If you won't do follow-up care, we can't take the child. Wicked. Unreal. And, and so, so I eventually I got an attorney with her. We pushed them and and put enough pressure on them and started talking about disability and discrimination and going after them. I actually filed a complaint against this hospital. Good. Um, and so they they held this child though. They stood in the way of a transfer until I finally got that attorney involved. Then they said, "Well, you know, we might be willing to do some follow up surge or follow up care." We'll just have to see how things go. So at that point, my hospital was back in and said, okay, we'll do something. Yep. Well, so, so they sent all the records in. My doctor looked at them. And at this point, he had to send a note to mom and say, I'm sorry. It's progressed too far. There's nothing that I can do now. Oh, my gosh. It started in October. So they killed her. This was yeah. in April. By the time we got that done, we're talking six, seven months before we could get that done. They killed this little girl. Wow. And she and I'm telling you, I've done this long enough. This little girl could have lived. I have wow. no doubt in my mind she would have lived. And these yeah. become these policies or what they won't do. And they don't tell you they're not going to do them. Become hidden yep. nets that you're trapped in. Yep. People don't know what you don't know. So you don't know to ask what particular thing you should have, what doctors should right. be doing. That's supposed yep. to be. Fiduciary ethics would say yep. that was their job. Yep. But the other thing is, I've made the comparison with doctors. I have gotten more transparency taking my minivan in to be worked on. If they don't work on Honda Odyssey minivans, they tell me at the get-go. They don't keep the van for a week, charge me, and then go, you know what? We actually don't work on these type of vehicles. Wow. But that's what they're doing with these kids. Yeah. And it, it really becomes a time issue for that child's life. They yep. have robbed them of their life by taking that time. It is the yep. slow code. Yep. Right. You know, making that wow. making that family think they're doing everything. Drag it can. out. Wow. Drag it out. And they and I'm telling you, it happens over and over and over again. Yep. And I think we can prove that. Uh, here in Michigan, we had um, many of the, the University of Michigan medical students that they all walked out of the white coat ceremony because they found out the speaker was um, going to be a, somebody that had pro-life views. Yeah, Dr. Kristen Collier. So and, we actually have that video uh, today, Jesse. So um, okay. we're going to play this short video um, for our listeners and those who watch on YouTube. This was very recently, white coat summit, right? Um, induction of doctors, is it as well? And, yeah, yeah. and the speaker, welcome, essentially, white yep, ceremony. that's right. And the speaker's pro-life. And so and watch what happens. Let's play this clip. Look at that. Look at all the money. 
Oh my god. 40, 50, 60 people. I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to everyone who's joining us for this. Wicked. Unbelievable. So I I always tell this to people, guys, and, and I said it at the introduction to the show, but let's say it again, just to bring the philosophical part of this back into the conversation, because ideas have consequences. And yep. and bad ideas have victims. Um, you should never oh, trust someone <laughs> who is pro-abortion to care for your family as a doctor, because in so doing, they have absorbed some level of body self-dualism, which is actually an old heresy. It's called Gnostic dualism. The church has called it a heresy for centuries. It's the belief that the body is actually not the real person. Um, it's just a shell for the real you. Um, and so um, the real person is your thoughts, your aims, your consciousness, your desires, intangible things. Um, so you've actually never hugged your mother because you can't hug thoughts, aims, consciousness, and desires. Uh, if a psychiatrist cures multiple personality disorder, he would be guilty of mass homicide because each personality would have different, th different thoughts, aims, consciousness, and desires, and therefore you'd be a mass homicidal maniac. Of course, nobody thinks that this makes sense. That, that doesn't seem to ring true, uh, but I'm just applying the premises of body self-dualism to the real world. And so this is what enables them to say, or you know, let, me, let me now say, guys, that I, I'm actually a woman, um, and my name is Sally, uh, and I've learned to liberate Sally from the physical bodily constraints of the Seth prison because the body and biology provides no rational basis for who real people are. It's also why I'm trans-vaccinated, by the way, Brad and Jesse. I may not have the Fauci, ouchy spike protein, but I've learned how to liberate my vaccination status from my physical body because the body is just a shell for the real person, and the real me is the trans-vaccinated Sally who lives in the prison of Seth. Now, I all I'm you doing- like a Susan. What's that? Yes, that's right, Susan. I think you look more like a Susan. Well, yeah, it, well, what's, the old, what's the old clip? from, um, uh, from um, oh man, Life of Brian, Monty Python. Uh, most prophetic clip you'll ever see from decades ago in the Life of Brian film. One of the actors says, I'd like you, to you, for you to refer to me as Loretta. He's like, why do you want us to call you Loretta? He's like, I want to be a woman. He's like, you want to be a woman, Stan? Why do you want to be a woman? He's like, I want to have babies. He's like, you want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants to have them babies. He's like, but you can't have babies. And then, and then there's this hilarious prophetic interaction where he's like, how about we fight for your right to have babies, brother, uh, sister? And he's like, what's the point in fighting for his right to have babies if he can't have babies? And then they're like, it's symbolic of our struggle against oppression. And then the base conservative says, symbolic of his struggle against reality. So, so anyways, there, there were, you know, Hollywood creators who were very prophetic in, 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 you know, calling out where progressivism was leading. But my point is this, if the body is not the real person and the real person is something intangible, then who gets to come up for the intangible list of checkbox items that grounds right. real persons? Oh, right, the political elites who would never let their debauched premises be instituted in such a way that would endanger their own rights. And Mildred Jefferson, the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School who turned Reagan pro-life and founded the National Right to Life Committee, one of the oldest pro-life organizations in the country, once said, today it is the unborn child. Tomorrow, it is likely to be the elderly or those who are incurably ill. Oh. Who knows? But then a little later, it may be anyone who has political and moral views that do not fit into the new distorted order. So if you don't ground human rights in our shared human nature, the fact that we're all humans, you inevitably hand that power over to elites to determine who gets to live and who gets to die. So you have these students walking out of this white coat summit, all saying, we are walking out of the room for unborn children. We are abandoning unborn children because we as doctors and the elite, we get to decide what collection of or number of accidental properties and functions must be met before you're worthy of protection and deserving of the title of personhood. So, that's my commentary on that, but I want to throw it back to you, be, just again, because of your experience fighting these eugenic evils. 
Tell, tell them your response when you saw the video, Jess. It's not the first room they're going to walk out of. You know, mm. there's going to be other rooms they're going to walk out of. We've met the pro-abortion crowd. They're the ones that encouraged us to abort. And let me tell you, they're not the ones that are treating afterward. Nope. You think yeah, that wow. magically, magically wow. they're changing their mind. All of a sudden, your child is valuable. They're going to do their job. I just like, said we've it. We've called that God complex yep. for so long. And frankly... In every other job we have that deals with people's life and death, we put a camera on them. I'd like yeah. to see more on doctors. How about we know what you're doing with yep. a vulnerable patient in the middle of the night when nobody else can see? Let's see what's going on. If we talk about the greatest mass murders in the world after World War II, they were done by medical professionals. You know, the mm. angels of death during the 80s and 90s, why they lock up. Talk about that. Talk about that. Sign. Um, all over the world, they've changed their medicine because people thought they were doing, especially with the elderly at that time, we're doing you a favor when we kill you. And they get, they are the arbiters of who gets to live and die. Mm -hmm. I mean, that type of thing is sickening, but it is ruining medicine. Every time there's an abortion, it's the death of medicine as well, because yep. now you have a bunch of not only bigoted, but ignorant doctors. Now yep. they don't know how to treat the sick. Do you know there's, I pass like five or six hospital systems on the way, by the way, we go to a hospital in Ann Arbor for children and that we have some excellent doctors there. I, it's frightening as a parent to see all those new doctors who basically know nothing, walk wow. out on a seasoned doctor who wasn't even talking about that, by the way. I mean, wow. that was not the premise of her speech, but how arrogant, how godlike yeah. that at the beginning yeah. of life, they get to decide who gets to come out, who they're going to treat. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is why I don't leave the room. Mm. I mean, here at a hospital system with the best uh, pediatric ICU, I don't leave the room because I don't know in 12 hours yep. who's on that next ship. Yep. Are they going to do the medicines in the proper time? Yep. Are they going to do what she needs? Are they going to resuscitate? Yep. I mean, you hate to do that, but when you have a, a group of doctors that are making their own Hippocratic Oath now in many yep. places. Yeah, so they don't actually most, – most doctors now don't take an oath. Wow, I, I mean, really? Wow. No. Right. I so, mean, Jesse, I you just said something. You, you said that the people we found that would not treat our child or other children with disabilities after birth were all pro-abortion. Um, oh, yeah. So I just wanted to repeat what you just said, not to toot my own horn, but just to to complete the circle here that we're talking about. Yep. I just said that. That's what I just said. I said that you can't trust people who are pro-abortion right. to take care of you or your family because in so doing, they have absorbed some level of body self-dualism, meaning, therefore, that there is no such thing as human equality now. You can throw human equality out the window. It's a myth. Toss it away with the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. If you've, if you've absorbed a level of body self-dualism, you do not have a branch to stand on to defend this idea of human equality because, the, because only our human nature comes in equal degree. degree. Everything else comes in varying degrees. Our intellect, our IQ, our physical ability, our mental ability, our musical ability, our gender, our race, our skin color, uh, whatever, you, whatever it is, whatever functional, uh, functionalist account for personhood, cognitive abilities that the left uses to determine who gets to live and who gets to die, they all come in varying degrees. And, and this was the point Lincoln made when responding to racist arguments. He said, you know, you say A is white and B is black, it is color then. Okay, but the lighter has the right to enslave the darker. Therefore, the next man you meet with the skin fairer than your own can enslave you. And he did this with intellect and with interest. He said, hey, Stephen Douglas, you racist Democrat, the very arguments you're using to defend slavery can be turned right around and used to enslave you. Lincoln famously said, you guys, every time I hear someone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally, <laughs> which is just a beautiful line. And frankly, I got to say this, to paraphrase Lincoln, Every time I hear someone advocating for eugenics, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on them personally, right? Because, right. The, oh, you get to sit on high and determine who gets to live and who gets to die. Uh, let me quote Chesterton and throw it back to you. Um, he, he once said, guys, as one of the lone public Christian voices against eugenics right. in the early 1900s, yep. shame Chesterton on the churches. Awesome. Shame on the churches and Christians who allowed Chesterton to be one of the only intellectual Christian voices against eugenics. Oh, the reason that he celebrated as, only the, as, as one of the only ones is because all the other Christians were silent. And he said regarding the eugenicists of his day, 
He said, they combine a hardening of the heart with a sympathetic softening of the head. Um, <laughs> in only a Chestertonian fashion that you could. And, he, and then he said, if Darwinism was the doctrine of the survival of the fittest, then eugenics is the doctrine of the survival of the nastiest. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't that exactly right? Because the people yep. advocating eugenics and those who don't suffer the consequences of eugenics are some of the nastiest people that you could possibly make up in the most you know, demonic villain of any novel or film. Um, so anyways, Jesse, uh, continue. Tell us more about what's happening in America, what we should be aware of. And, and then, and then maybe like, what do we actually do about this? Well, I was just going to say a couple stats that I think can be helpful. Uh, so people can understand how pervasive this is. Uh, so a few years ago, we were working on some legislation here in Michigan that we were working, that we wanted to get passed. And Jesse was doing some research. And as we were, we were doing that, we came across, uh, an article in a medical journal on trisomy 18. And this doctor was arguing about some different things, but, but in that, in one of the articles that we found, um, it, there was a survey. In, in this survey, they sent it out, sent it across the country to 3,000 NICU doctors. So these are neonatologists. This is the neonatal ICU, wow. right? So these are the children that uh, – or the, these are the doctors that see our children first right. when they're after they're born, okay? Yep. So Like Ralph Northam used to. Yeah. In that sur- – you got it. In that survey – they asked them, and, and they had out of the 3,490 responded. Okay. And I give you the numbers so you can understand this is a good cross-section. This is a good survey. So say it again. How many out of how many? 3,000 were sent out. 490 responded. Okay. That's, that's a big number. That's not okay. a small number to base this on. So out of that, one of the questions they asked them was, do you think that it is ethically permissible to put a DNR, so a do not resuscitate order, mm-hmm. do you think it is ethically permissible to put a DNR on a child you deem incompatible with life or not able to live? Yeah, Laban's even better than Laban. Without yeah. even asking the parents' permission? No. Yes. Oh, gosh. This I don't want to know the results. You don't want to know the results, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> 76% of NICU doctors said that it was no. ethically permissible no. to put a DNR on a child without even asking the parents' permission. Holy moly. Why haven't I seen that uh, study published on the activist media channels? Why, why, why yes. has that not become national news? You won't. We, so we ran across – here's another one we actually just got uh, – boy, it was what, last year I think. Yeah. Um, we were on it, and this again was a neonatal conference. It was an online conference that we that Jesse was invited to participate in, but it was it was online, so I participated too. Um and so we're listening to this, and the one one doctor who was referring, she kept talking about trisomy 18, and and frankly, listening to her drive you crazy because she clearly didn't know what she was talking about. Wow. I, I know more than she knows, way more, and I'm not the guy doing it. Yeah. We've got plenty of doctors who know more. So anyway, this this woman is talking about it, and she she says verbally something that we've read before, where it, it talks about you know using medical stuff. So. Um, that it is a waste of scarce medical resources to use resources on these children. Wow. She did. She she excluded the word waste. She said, "Well, you know, we always keep it in the back of our mind that this is use of scarce medical resources." Wow. The same. That's the lady, same thing the Nazis argued in Germany. That, exactly. That, that the no, Jews exactly. were using up resources needed by fit Germans. Yep. That's that's and, the other word in, in eugenic circles: fit and unfit. Right. That's that's right. another synonym for Leben Zundvertens Leben, life yep. unworthy of life, uh, li- incompatible with life. It's it's all the same thing. Yep. Right. Yep. So so then she shared this survey, which I was amazed that she shared it, but she didn't seem to think it was a negative. Um, so in this survey, when they asked them, fifty five percent of doctors and nurses say that disability is worse than death. Yes, that is, that is exactly what they believe. That's exactly yes. right. And yeah. that's why they view themselves as righteous and right 
rather right. than wicked and depraved. And you know yeah. what, guys? That's what makes them that much more dangerous. Right. Who and are I, they going no, to claim they can't define next? They won't define a woman, therefore they won't protect her. They right. won't define a baby, therefore they won't protect him. Wake right. up, pay attention. Who will they claim to not be able to define next? This is yep. a, a, a key tenet of progressivism and the secular moral revolution is the redefinition of terms to yep. accrue Change political language. power and fit their political purposes, which is why C.S. Lewis, a Chestertonian kind of prophet, said of all the tyrannies, a tyranny exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It may yep. be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. Because the robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end. For they right. do so with the approval of their own conscience. So exactly what you said is why I say something to a new doctor every <laughs> time they walk into the room. Tell us. I have something I say immediately. I said, I want you to know. Starvation is not a medical treatment. Oh, good for you. Forcing my daughter is she not a medical it. treatment, wow. and death is not her cure. Don't think you're doing me a favor That's by good. killing her because I'm here for her to live. You have valuable skills that you went to school for. I'd like you to use them. And I think yep. over everybody else's who refuses, they need to write, Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Wow. Because they have changed their coats to the, I guess, the Black Grim Reaper. Wow. And they think they can do either. And again, they're losing skills. And just to point out, somebody who wants gender reassignment is not asked about their quality of life. But my daughter, to literally live, is. They're changing bathrooms for people that may decide to be a boy or girl today and may not tomorrow. Yep. But I still have no place to lay my child down but a filthy floor in almost any place mm -hmm. because she's bigger than an infant to change her. Yep. And they want our handicap spots next. Yep. Go ahead from the placard. Maybe we, they yep. can park closer too. Yep. It, you know, the problem is, is they are usurping what we've always said, people that actually have physical, identifiable, medically sound things where they need help. We are getting rid of those and we're making stuff up and yeah. making them, yeah. giving them special access. Yeah, like it's exactly some right. backstage pass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, well, it feels like we're in wonderland with Alice and, and that, that was kind of all, yeah. that was kind of always the point actually. Um, right. it, it was to entirely upend society so that they could recreate it in their own image. Uh, and, and that's what we need to understand. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, a Christian theocracy is sounding really good right about now. Um, and you know, for all this talk about Christian nationalism, like that, you know, all these puff pieces, even from, from seemingly Christian people and leaders at the gospel coalition, which is just Tim Keller's brainchild, um, that say, you know, oh, the dangers and threats, Russell Moore, he gets so high off of this. He gets so, I, I shouldn't use the word. I was just had my, anyways, he gets very excited about, about, um, about this, this threat he perceives as Christian nationalism. What does that mean? It means being a Christian and believing that your duty transcends into the political sphere and that love of country um, is, you know, just an extension of filial piety. Uh, you love your family because they're your closest people. Then you love your city because you want you love you want to create a safe city for where you live, and you care about your county because your county is where your city is in, which is where your house is in, which is where your children are in. Love of country is just an extension of filial piety. And so, if you want to contend for the truth and the Judeo-Christian worldview, which built this country and has provided the freedoms that we now take for granted, you're called a Christian nationalist and the greatest threat to America. I think what we need right about right now is about Christian nationalism times a hundred. We have eugenics. Yeah. We have children being murdered. We have have healthy children having their breasts cut off and their penises cut off by their degenerate parents who approve of it. And if they don't approve of it, the federal government would like to remove those children from their parents for being abusive. You have Planned Parenthood last year, Brad and Jesse, when they finally acknowledged that Margaret Sanger was kind of a piece of crap and a eugenicist racist. And this is from last year. Listen to this. Sanger believed in eugenics, an inherently racist, this is on their website, an inherently racist and ableist, ableist ideology that labeled certain people unfit to have children. Eugenics is a theory that society can be approved through planned breeding for desirable traits. 
<laughs> in the early 20th century, eugenic ideas were popular uh, among highly educated, privileged, and mostly white Americans. Sanger pronounced these beliefs, blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, have you have you ever woken up and looked in the mirror, Planned Parenthood? Amen. That's, that's literally what you, your organization, and your industry do. You determine yep. ableist desired traits, and if the child yep. doesn't meet that criteria – you not right. only abort the child, but you recommend for parents to abort the child because you're right. quote unquote compassionate. Anyways. Right. So the new master race are the ones that have no disability, come from the wealthier areas. I, I mean, look where they're putting Planned Parenthoods. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but going back to what's the next person to come off their list? Yep. Okay. We have specific prenatal tests, we can identify any disability in the womb, and we can get rid of you there. If you don't, we can starve you to death. We yep. can overdose. Well, they've we been pushing for infanticide, guys. They've been right? pushing oh, for yeah. infanticide. Wake up, church. Prenatal death. Par I'm sorry, perinatal death in California and Maryland. Two bills that they've been pushing oh, to, make to make sure that abortionists, uh, yep. doctors, and parents can't be criminally prosecuted for perinatal deaths. Oh, the term perinatal can refer to up to 28 days after birth. And this is this was this kind of, you know, caused a firestorm with Ralph Northam when he went on a radio show and said if a baby's born alive during a botched abortion, we'll we'll care for the baby, we'll resuscitate the baby if that's what the mother wants, and then the mother and the doctor will have a quote-unquote conversation. Um, but go right. ahead, Brad, you said it's not just there. I would say yeah, so here in Michigan, we are in a battle with Planned Parenthood. They they had uh, they organized a petition. They turned in way more signatures than they needed to. We'll see if they can actually make the ballot because they really really screwed up, which is just awesome. Good. <laughs> um, they have a bunch of run on sentences on the back Nobody of their on their it. petition. <laughs> uh, nice. So we're we're hoping to get it thrown out. We'll see if if they actually care about the law. If they do care about the law, it will get thrown out. If they yeah. don't care about the law. They'll just throw it on the ballot anyway. Yep. Uh, but in this, this, this would be a constitutional amendment to Michigan's constitution that right. would legalize abortion, make it unlimited and unregulated. But here's, here's what else it does. It redefines the point of viability. So you're not even considered a viable human being unless you can survive without extraordinary care. And they get to define what extraordinary, and, it's, and, it's, and they get to define what that means. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I can tell you now, my 13-year-old needs extraordinary <laughs> care. Yeah. yeah, yep, yep. Well, some parents would say, you know, my healthy teenager with no uh, medical needs, it still needs, needs extraordinary, extraordinary care. care. <laughs> but but isn't, isn't that the point, is that it's subjective? Yes. It's yeah. totally subjective. Right. And that's the point, church. Wake up, people. It's to, it's to create open-ended premises right. and ideas so that if they get called out for it or if it becomes a meeting of minds or a political battle over the legislation, they can point to the fact that they weren't violating anything in the law because they intentionally yeah. wrote it in such a way as to be open-ended. Uh, and we, and I, yeah. I think we do need to go to the law because there is a law that has been written on the heart of every man, hmm. and it is thou shall not murder, yeah. right? And even Jesus questioned it. You know, what should be lawful to do? To, save to do life. good or evil, to save a life or yep. destroy a and he didn't even have to answer it. It should have been obvious. Yep. We should, law should save lives. Yep. So it, it is so absurd that I have to, and because I have to do it every time I go in, I get emotional about it yep. because my daughter's life is at stake. So, you know, the Jesse, I, I want you to tell the story you told last time um, because I barely remember it. And so our listeners probably don't at all. And so I want you to tell it again. It was a story about you going to like a Planned Parenthood pro-abortion oh, like yeah. meeting or rally and you uh, took faith there. Can you tell that story as we start to wind down? Because I, I want to I keep hitting the nail. I want to keep driving this yeah. point home that these people are wicked, wicked people. And they yeah. will apply their abortophilic um, infanticidal body self dualism just as quickly this side of the womb as they already do in the womb. Wake right. up! The longer you tolerate this, Christian, the sooner you'll find that you some you no longer have any rights. So, tell, can That's you tell right. that story? Well, there's a couple quick ones. I mean, we went to a um, a Planned Parenthood meeting at a university near us, and so we go in. The room's full, both of of pro-lifers and pro-abortion, not a, not a seat in there, but I've got faith in our gate trainer. We take up some space. So people literally had to, had to part like the sea, you know, they're all moving desks and chairs so we can get in. And somebody finally gave us their seat. And the speaker who is a young woman 
is visibly nervous. The very reason the once heart, she saw when she saw Faith, Faith mm. that's when she became she visibly became nervous. visibly nervous because Faith is right in front of her, the very person she is saying, and she literally is on her screen flipping slides very quick, quickly. Skipping them. Yes, skipping them on her presentation. Ask for some water because now her voice is quavering. Because the human being she wants to get rid of is standing or sitting in front of her. And Faith looks super cute that day. There's no denying. And she ended up saying, I like her bow. I was like, oh my gosh. But it changes the conversation because wow. a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Mm. I have experience. I'm living the life. And I will stand for any life like that. The other one, real quick, Willie, was actually at a family medical conference where we were, um, there was a, a, what was it? Like it was, a little so it's a doctor's, session. It's a doctor's conference yeah. for Cap. family medicine is what it is. And it was actually in Cleveland. It travels around, but it was Cap. in Cleveland. And we, we, we come at, we were invited by a doctor to come to this. We, yeah. we show up. As soon as we walk in the door, she says, hey, there's a breakout session right now. It just started. It's and the name of it is Tell Your Abortion Story. And she goes, It's it's taught by doctors to other doctors so they can shout that they have murdered babies. Trying to promote abortion, yeah. right? Let's teach you how to promote abortion. That's wow. what this breakout session was. So she says, Do you want to go? And we're like, Well, that's what we came for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we we walked by the door again, a packed room, and we did have faith with us, and then the door stayed open the whole time. So our younger daughters, you know, did with faith and they're walking back in front of the door. And everybody's eyes are not on the three doctors teaching. They're on my daughters mm -hmm. walking right, back and right, forth. Right. Anyway, there's only two seats available in the front. One lady had to, like, move her purse. They didn't want to move for us. They saw that we brought our child with disability, and nobody wants to move, and the room becomes very silent. And so we sit, and, I mean, really, it was like we were in the front row. I could have reached out and almost touched these three women there that were, were teaching there, there, Yeah, three doctors literally sitting across from us. They're right. Just wow. Like, I mean, you could almost reach up, and it was – it was hilarious for me. Well, and she, the, the first question was, uh, who has an abortion story? I raised my hand out of the gate. I'm the yes. first one. I know I am. That's why I'm there. And she doesn't call on me. She and says it again. Wait, wait. She actually, yeah. what she did is she walked over. So this woman is a doctor. She's an abortionist. Yeah. She wow. walks over and Jesse's sitting on the end of the row in the middle. And she comes and stands directly beside her. So, so she, she have wouldn't have to look at her. Yeah. And wow. Jesse sat there the whole time with her hand up. Just just sat there after she asked for volunteers. And this woman would not look at her. In fact, it got to the point, it was so ridiculous, that a woman on the other side from the room, she goes, hey, she's got her hand up over there. Yep. yep and she yep. ignored her. Yep. And then finally she goes, okay, you, you, and you. She picked three people. That she wanted to break out into wow. these and tell their story. Doesn't was, that I mean, doesn't that communicate worlds right there? Because absolutely. because yeah. who, who ha who? <laughs> why does an abortion story have to be a story about actually aborting a baby? Couldn't an abortion exactly. story be? Well, I was pressured over and over again by different doctors to abort. So my abortion story is that I rejected it. Oh, oh no, we don't want that kind of abortion story, <laughs> right? Just, just like we're pro-choice, but we we oppose. Um, informed Choice. consent legislation that pro-life was trying to pass, which helps give women more information by which they can make informed, what was that word? Informed choices. Oh, right. Uh, right. It, all of this is BS, right? It's always the manipulation of language. Verbicide precedes homicide. Uh, and that's never been more true than than with this issue. So, hey, let me let me finish with a couple thoughts and then, and then I want you to actually close out the show today. Um, guys, this is the long... This is the long thread of ideas um, over hundreds of years that have been implemented in the soil of the culture that have grown nasty fruit and Christians have refused to till good soil and to uproot bad fruit to contend upstream for the Imago Dei and for the rights of their neighbor. As my pastor Rob McCoy often says, and listen to this, guys, if you haven't heard this before, this is about as, as spicy of a take on the abdication of Christians I've ever heard. The church waits downstream to pick up human heartache that they helped create through their political apathy upstream. 
Yeah. Um, and that yeah. is what has happened um, in the culture wars, which was always just a proxy war for the spiritual war. But guys, this is nothing new. It's just more silent, and I would argue more deadly today. Yeah. Justifer, justice, ju- justice, I was trying to combine justice with Lucifer. See? <laughs> justice <laughs> Oliver Wendell Holmes um, in Buck versus Bell in 1927, they ruled 8-1 to uphold Virginia's mandatory sterilization law. Eight, one. And guys, do you know what Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes' hot take was? Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had Henry Osborne, lest you think I'm jesting, Christian, a paleontologist. So he loves dinosaurs, dead dinosaurs, but not alive children. And the co-founder of the American Eugenics Society, who summed up this scientific, follow the science outlook when he said... As science has enlightened government in the prevention and spread of disease, it must also enlighten government in the prevention of the spread and multiplication of worthless members of society. Wow. Well, I I like what you say there with the church. It's one of the things that I try to hit home is I'm, you know, working hard to get these churches involved. I know in you are. Thing. Yeah. And you've tried to get me and, into some, and as always, yeah. if I'm available, I'll, I'll fly up there and I'll do a biblical right. based and based, if you know what I mean, um, lecture on eugenics in the church and, and we'll try to wake some Christians up, but go back to what you were saying. Pastors yeah, won't engage, so, right? So one of the, one of the, one of the things that, and I'm sure you've seen this, it's happening more and more because you have, you know, people, and I, and I appreciate it. You've got like people like Tim Tebow who've started his outreach to disabled yep. people, right? Which is great. The, the, the night to shine. Um, I love it. And, but there are a number of churches now starting to do outreach to disabled and families with disabled children, right? which I appreciate. But I say this. Church, if you want to do anything, you can do as much as you want with these outreaches to to the disabled. But if you will not be a voice for the voiceless and speak for those who can't speak, if you won't stand up and affect and influence the law, you've done nothing for the disabled. I don't care if you've reached out and touched a few families, which is, again, you should be doing. Yep. But if you won't stand for them, you've done nothing because 90% of these children are being slaughtered, yep. just exterminated. And if you won't be their voice, which you're commanded to do by scripture, this yep. is your job. I say it all the time. This is not the job of Right to Life of Michigan. Yep. This is the church's job. Yep. We can come in and help you, but this is actually your calling and your duty. Yep. And part of the church. So I accept it, but, but this is, it's, it's a frustration to me that we have so many churches that want to do this stuff, but they won't actually do what's going to really matter, which is really save lives. Truly in Michigan alone, we had over 30,000 children killed just last year. That's the entire city of Flint being blown up. You know, I mean, we have to reproach this in a much stronger way than we are in the church. We have to be more aggressive. Christ Christ told the the Pharisees, you know, you've, um, you're so intent on, on following the law, but you've ignored the weightier matters, the weightier matters of the law. And the first thing he said was justice and mercy, justice and mercy. You've ignored those weightier issues. Um, you know, we're, we're, it's, Christ is better to have a millstone thrown around your neck and drown in the ocean yeah. than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Um, in America, where we the people are the sovereign and we're supposed to determine our rulers, it means we have greater responsibility. And so when evil happens, it happens on the watch of the church and American citizens to whom the political authorities are accountable. So it is not an exaggeration or an embellishment to say that if children are murdered in America through abortion or the unfit in Margaret Sanger's view, the more needy in our midst are killed or marked for destruction, then those individuals are stumbling and they are stumbling by our consent and by our blessing. 
because we care more about the idol of being perceived as not political than we do about contending for the rights of our neighbor when it means we might be labeled political. The idol of wanting to be perceived as not political has done far more damage to the American public conscience, soil, and country than quote-unquote Christian nationalism ever did. Um, and it's about time that, that the church starts waking up, else lest we repeat the cycles of history where when the good people finally decide to wake up and say, oh, we kind of need to stop this evil, um, it's too late. Yeah. Well, remember when uh, Germany, they knew all those Jewish children were yep. being slaughtered. There was some good people in Britain that started a, a child transport. And they here these are parents that had to let their children go and strangers that took them in just to save the children. Children that weren't from their country, children that weren't, you know, of their nationality. And the church has been doing stuff like this. I mean, look at all the pregnancy centers. So in in a lot of ways, the church is, I mean, what Elizabeth Warren, here she was out there saying we need to stop these pregnancy centers. But she said something brilliant in there. There were three pregnancy centers, volunteer, people are fundraising for those. To every one Planned Parenthood who is robbing us, legalized plunder right there and killing children. And I was like, you know, the people that say the church hasn't done anything, where have you been? We've been giving. We've been trying to save. But I think what you said was very poignant because uh, we can't look at the politics as dirty. We have to get in there. This is a battle. I mean, just choose a side at some point. Hey, I I always say, uh, you know, John the Baptist, we we know very few things about him, right? We know that he baptized Jesus. And the other thing that we know is that he lost his head because he got involved in politics. Yeah, well, you know, well, you know, Brad, what, what, what Russell Moore, Tim Keller, and Ed Stetzer um, would have told John the Baptist, um, you Republican GOP hack Christian nationalist, you're not being very winsome. Um, if, if, if those men took a time machine with Marty McFly uh, back to the first century, that's exactly what they would have told John the Baptist, that he was prostituting his faith to a political ideology, um, and he should just preach the gospel and, and, and not be calling out the king for his incestuous affair. It's just pathetic and, yet, and ridiculous. And Jesus, Jesus Christ isn't coming on Air Force One. You, you don't, Jesus isn't going to be on the ballot. You're voting for a sinner either way. So you yeah. either vote to restrain evil and promote righteousness, or you vote for wickedness, or you abdicate and you make yourself feel really good about your political abdication, which you masquerade as Christian piety. Which reminds me of a line from Bonhoeffer, and then, Brad, I want you to say your final thing. Bonhoeffer said, the question for a responsible man to ask is not how he is to extricate himself heroically from the affair, but how the coming generation shall continue to live. Right. Oh, that's good. And I would just point out, um, John the Baptist that he got involved in politics, but let's look at what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Said he was the greatest man to walk the face of the earth. Wow. Apart from himself. He this is what Jesus said. This yep. is his words about John the Baptist. Wow. So so to to say that we shouldn't get involved in politics, yet Jesus says he's the greatest guy to walk the face of the earth, and that's really the only story we know about him yep. other than baptizing Jesus. Wow powerful you guys wonderful thank you for sharing your heart and and your story and for for channeling the spirit of chesterton and of course (laughs) uh and of course christ um at such an important moment in this battle um let me know if i can uh if i can help anyway in the fight for protecting unborn children in the state constitution we just got let down in kansas unfortunately um but we wake up to fight another day and you guys have been doing that for so long so we're grateful for you uh where can people can connect with your story uh probably well i was gonna say probably one of the best places to connect with us is is on facebook we have a uh keeping our faith cool uh so it's just on Facebook, keeping our faith, and you can kind you can connect with us, but you can also follow, uh, you know, the different things with faith and what what we walk through with her. Wow. Um, you know, whether it's the medical stuff or just you know day to day kind of yeah. things too. So, and aren't you guys speakers too? Is it with ambassadors or? Yeah, no, we're not with ambassador at this point. Um, we Save do the do one speaking. Um, it's been mostly you know in our region. Yeah. Um, we've traveled some across the country. I thought I saw you guys on save the one or or some website. Save 
one. So save the one.com. We are on there. Um, I'm, I'm a board member on save the one. Cool. My job is with right to life of Michigan Great. and I'm a board. So on save the one.com or keeping yep. our faith on Facebook. You guys can connect with Brad and Jesse Smith and the, the brave, wonderful work that they do. I hope this guy, this blessed you guys and, and really exposed a lot of what's happening in America and how all of this agenda is all linked and all the same goals. But thank you guys for coming back on the show. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Appreciate yeah, it. Be safe. God bless. Thanks for joining the show today, guys. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate it. Uh, YouTube channel really took off recently, so go subscribe there, uh, right? As YouTube says, we're censoring misinformation and disinformation on abortion. Of course, very interesting. Uh, help us avoid the technocratic abortophilic trolls at the big tech companies. Uh, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Give the rate, the show rating and review on iTunes. It drives it up. More people see it, and we really appreciate that. If you want to connect with me online or book me for an event or see my speaking schedule, go to sethgruber.com. And if you want to become an ally of the White Rose Resistance to build the Christian resistance movement against our silent but far more deadly holocaust of abortion and to create the army of resistance that Hans and Sophie Scholl and the members of the White Rose resistance and vision but never saw realized go to the white rose.life the white rose.life to support us and build an organization that's a pain in the ass a fly in the ointment a stick in the eye to the abortion industrial complex and the culture of death until we take back life in america until next week i'm seth gruber and this is unaborted <laughs>